0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 8 of the UK's first Freedom of Information podcast. I'm Ibrahim Hassan. In July and August, the Information Commissioner published 64 decisions, whilst the Information Tribunal published 7. I'm here to guide you through some of these. Amongst other things, in this episode, we'll be discussing the first appeal against an information notice, disclosure of staff names and contact details, whether statistics can still be personal data, disclosure of dead people's information, and when retrieval of information amounts to the creation of new information. The first appeal against an information notice issued by the Commissioner was heard in July. In Ministry of Justice and the Information Commissioner, the MOJ refused to confirm or deny whether it held information about the Attorney-General's advice on the public interest test and its interpretation under the Freedom of Information Act. It applied the Section one c exemption, information held by a government department relating to the provision of advice by any of the law officers. The Commissioner issued an information notice under Section 51 of the Act. It required the MOJ to confirm whether or not such information was held, and if it was, to provide it with a copy. The Information Tribunal ruled that the MOJ, in refusing to comply with the information notice, was correct to rely on Section one five of the Act. This states that a public authority does not have to comply with such a notice in respect of any information which is covered by legal professional privilege. Often public authorities receive FOI requests where technically they don't hold the information in the form it's requested. To produce it would require other information to be manipulated or processed in some way. To what extent are public authorities obliged to do this? This issue has been clarified in the Information Tribunal decision involving Mr Johnson and the Information Commissioner and the Ministry of Justice dated the 13th of July. Mr Johnson asked the MOJ for summary information relating to the numbers of cases allocated to each High Court Queen's Bench Master by year since 2001 and the number of cases which each master had struck out. The MOJ informed the appellant that these statistics had never previously been compiled. They could only be extracted by manually examining some 17,000 files. On this basis, it stated that the information requested was not held under the terms of the Act. The Tribunal ruled that if manipulation of the raw data to produce the requested information would require a level of skill and judgment, then it could be said that the information is not held. All that was required in the present case, though was for a member of staff to look through the paper files and know that there were three or four possible terms that might be used to replace the term strikeout, but which meant the same thing. However, the tribunal accepted that collating the information would have required a significant amount of time that would exceed the cost limit. August saw the first decisions by the information commissioner involving GPs who are, of course, public authorities in their own right. Two of these decisions concerned vexatious requests. In a decision dated 9th August, Dr A. Dates refused to answer a request for information on the basis that it was vexatious. The Commissioner was satisfied that the request was vexatious because, when taken in the context of the complainant's previous correspondence and other actions, it imposed a significant burden on the GP and also had the effect of harassing him. A similar decision was reached in the case of Dr Teresa Buckman, also dated the 9th of August. Unfortunately, these are all the facts we have of both cases. The Commissioner decided that due to the nature of the requested information, it was not possible to publish the full decision notices on his website, as to do so would involve the disclosure of personal data about the parties involved. The Commissioner has published an updated version of his guidance note number 22 on vexatious and repeated requests. It's available on his website, which is www.ico.gov.uk. On 9th August, the Commissioner ruled in a case involving a request to the Royal Mail for information relating to the use of private vehicles to deliver mail and thefts from such vehicles. Royal Mails did release some of the requested information on the use of private vehicles, but argued that Section 31 exemption applied to the disclosure of statistics on thefts, as this would raise awareness that private vehicles are being used for mail delivery and would increase the likelihood of these vehicles becoming targets for criminals. It also applied the Section 30 exemption, arguing that disclosure would interfere with Royal Mail's investigations into such thefts. The Commissioner decided that disclosure of the statistics would not prejudice, or would be likely to prejudice, the prevention or detection of crime. He further considered that disclosure would enhance the public's understanding of the risks of delivering mail by this method, and their ability to assess Royal Mail's performance. These are matters of public interest. He also concluded that Section 30 was not applicable in this case. Does freedom of information require the names of staff and their contact details to be disclosed? This question is often the subject of debate and worry amongst public sector professionals, especially those in local authorities who regularly receive freedom of information requests to disclose the contents of the internal staff directory. A tribunal decision dated the 20th of July 2007 involving the Ministry of Defence and the Information Commissioner and Rob Evans clarifies the situation. It involved a request made by a journalist for a staff directory which included the names and contact details of individuals working for the Defence Export Services Organisation. The MOD refused to disclose the information citing the exemptions under section 36 Prejudice to the Effective Conduct of Public Affairs, Section 38, Health and Safety, and Section 40, Personal Data. The Tribunal ruled that the MOD could only withhold the names of staff if they were particularly junior, in this case below Civil Service B2 level, not immediately responsible for the requested information, and their name is not already available elsewhere or would be expected to be available through their performing a public-facing duty. It further ruled that if there is a clear and demonstrable threat to that individual's health and safety, then their name could be withheld. The tribunal was not minded, however, to sanction the disclosure of all telephone and email contact details of staff, save for those contact details which appeared in the civil service yearbook or similar publications. It ruled that even if there is a public interest inherent in the public's ability to contact anyone directly, even those above B2 level, the same is outweighed by the countervailing risks from disclosure, such as the speed of disruption, the fact that there is likely to be continuous interruption, and the risk of inadvertent loss or leakage of information. This decision provides welcome clarification for many local authorities having had similar requests. There is no absolute rule that names should never be disclosed. The seniority of the person involved, the availability of the information elsewhere and the credible risk to the subject are relevant considerations when deciding whether to release the names. With regard to contact details, it seems that unless the details have been made publicly available, they can be withheld if there is a likelihood of disruption that could be caused from staff being emailed and telephoned directly as opposed to going through the normal contact channels such as switchboards etc another interesting decision involves nhs direct dated the 30th of july 2007 where the Commissioner agreed that disclosure of geographic telephone numbers for NHS direct contact centres, as opposed to the usual 0845 number, would be exempt under Section 38, Health and Safety. It was in the public interest to ensure that calls were routed to the most efficient call centres, managed by trained staff appropriate to the medical need. This could only be done by use of the central 0845 number. I doubt whether the same decision would be made where a local authority received a request for a geographic number for one of its call centres. It's unlikely that health and safety would be an issue. For data to be personal data under the Act, it does not necessarily have to name an individual. In a decision involving the University of Cambridge, the Commissioner ruled that anonymised information may constitute personal data where it's possible to identify individuals using previous knowledge, combined with the information under consideration. The facts of this decision are that the complainant requested information concerning successful applicants to the university, broken down by school or college, gender and course. The university provided the majority of the information requested, but withheld information showing less than five successful applicants to the same course, of the same gender and from the same school or college. The University stated that this information was exempt under Section 40 as being personal data, disclosure of which would be unfair. The Commissioner agreed that the information was personal data. However, he found that disclosure would not breach any of the data protection principles. In coming to this view, he took account of, amongst other things, the impact of disclosure on the data subjects, whether negative or otherwise, he considered that in the majority of cases, information about the course studied would not be considered to be sensitive. Neither would the data subject have strong concerns about disclosure of such information. The Commissioner recently released a guidance note setting out his revised position on the definition of personal data. This is available on the Commissioner's website. Another recent GP decision involving Dr. I.M. Gilmore dated the eighth of August Shows the importance of PCTs raising awareness and knowledge of FOI amongst GPs. The complainant made a request for a copy of the complete medical records of a patient, now deceased, of his surgery. This request was originally made by reference to the Access to Health Records Act. The GP refused the request on the basis that the information was confidential and the complainant had not provided evidence that the personal representatives or executors of the deceased patient had given their consent to disclosure. It also pointed out that the family of the deceased had expressly refused consent. The Commissioner ruled, as in other cases involving deceased persons' records, that there was a duty of confidentiality owed to the deceased which was enforceable by his personal representatives. This in turn meant that the information was exempt under Section 41 of the Act, Breach of Confidence. The Commissioner recently published a guidance note, Access to Deceased Persons Records, which is available on his website. We have previously discussed a number of decisions which show that whilst the exemption under Section 42 for legal privilege is a qualified exemption, the Commissioner has yet to rule in favour of the applicant where it applies. However, care must still be taken to ensure that legal privilege is not waived by the public authority publishing the information or otherwise making it available. In a decision involving Dover District Council dated the third of July, the complainant requested legal advice received by the Council. The Council applied Section 42 to withhold it. The Commissioner found that the request should have been dealt with under the Environmental Information Regulations. However, he considered that the corresponding exemption under Regulation 12.5b of those regulations did not apply. Legal professional privilege had been waived due to the Council publishing a summary of the legal advice in a report available on its website. Last month we discussed the decision involving the London Borough of Southwark's refusal to disclose information about its application of the Hay Job Evaluation Scheme. A similar decision involves East Hampshire District Council, dated the 4th of July, where the complainant asked the council for information concerning the job descriptions of employees who had attended particular training courses. He also requested information concerning the council's application of the Hay Job evaluation process. The council withheld the job description information under Section 40, Personal Information, and the information concerning the Hay job evaluation process under Section 36, prejudicial to the effective conduct of public affairs. The Commissioner agreed with the use of Section 40, but decided that the information withheld under Section 36 should be released. The sale of Council land and the circumstances surrounding it is a constant subject of FOI requests to a local authority. In a decision involving Trafford Metropolitan Borough Council dated the 9th of July, the complainant requested information regarding the individual bids the council had received when offering a property for sale by informal tender. The council refused to supply the information on the grounds that to do so would prejudice its commercial interests and was therefore exempt under section 43. It planned to sell a number of similar properties in the future and so argued that future purchasers would be minded to lower their bids Once the requested information was disclosed, the Commissioner considered that the Council failed to adequately demonstrate how its commercial interests would be prejudiced. It took account of the fact that the Council had already disclosed two of the bids, and that other factors such as timing, location, and condition of the properties to be sold would have a greater effect on their value than the release of the requested information. And finally, there are no funny stories this month, so I'd like to tell you about ActNow Training's autumn 2007 programme of workshops. I'll be speaking on many of these, including a workshop examining the latest FOI decisions and how to use them to draft refusal notices. For full detail, see the ActNow Training website www.actnow.org.uk. That concludes this month's podcast. This podcast was brought to you by me, Ibrahim Hassan. I specialise in all aspects of information rights law, particularly freedom of information, data protection and surveillance law. My clients include local authorities, the NHS and government agencies. If you'd like specific advice or training on any of your information law issues, please don't hesitate to contact me. Please continue to let me have your feedback. The scripts for all previous podcasts with clickable links are available on my website. If you'd like a copy of this month's script, please contact me via the site, which is www.informationlaw.org.uk. Until the next time, goodbye.